Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. This unusual and interesting appendix, as it were, to the epistle to the Romans, where the apostle lists many names and describes some of their service to the kingdom of heaven, expresses his affection for them, and these names would have been read while these people were still alive in the churches of the Galatians, of the Gentiles, and they've been read for 2,000 years since, to see that commendation of faithful saints is a good thing and a noble thing, a very spiritual thing, as we saw when we were here last in Romans 16. It is interesting just to think about the fact that these verses would have been read in all the New Testament churches, and they've been read ever since. We don't know these people, but it's still, in the opinion of God, worthy of having this chapter in the Bible, though we know none of them, to see the Apostle's affection for them and his commendation and praise of them. Let's see how far we can go in a little while down to the first part of the fifth verse. Let me read in the book in the Law of God distinctly down to the first half of verse 5. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Sencria, that ye receive her in the Lord, as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. And amen. We looked at the first two words the last time we were here in Romans 16 to show that it is very scriptural and very spiritual to identify people by name and to commend and to praise them for their faithfulness in serving Christ, as the Apostle spends most of this 16th chapter doing just that. There is a tendency at times to get so caught up in the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ that we forget that His brethren are important as well, and He's not ashamed to own them as brethren. We shouldn't be ashamed to own them as His brethren. And so we have this unusual chapter in the Bible with so many names put together in one place. So leaving the word commend, let's move on and see what the Lord can show us because we tremble before each of His words. We want to learn everything that we can. Thy word do I love, but I hate vain thoughts. And so while we've looked at some vain thoughts earlier today, and while we're going to see some more in this assembly, let's love every word of God, including this name Phoebe, including Priscilla and Aquila, and some other things that we can draw from these verses. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister. Tradition tells us that Phoebe is the one that carried the epistle from Corinth to the Romans. Now you can tell by just reading Paul's words to her that that is likely the case without even thinking about tradition because he is commending her to them. She is traveling from wherever Paul is to wherever they are. And since he puts her first in the list, that certainly makes good sense that he wants to introduce 
Phoebe is the first person he identifies for his affection and appreciation for her service. There are roles for women in Jesus Christ's churches. And women should note that Paul began with a woman. The first one of all these names is a woman named Phoebe. You know, women should know that many accuse Paul of being a woman-hating Neanderthal chauvinist. But he wasn't. There was a place for women. Women had followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And they didn't walk around in habits and pray with folded hands all day. And they didn't read the Bible all day. The women that followed the Lord Jesus, do you know what they did? They were patrons of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had means. They had money. And they ministered to Him of their substance. That's what the Bible tells us about the women that followed the Lord Jesus Christ. They understood that there are many practical aspects of life, even of the Lord Jesus Christ's life, that they could help take care of, and they did. The performing roles for women in the churches of Jesus Christ are unofficial. There's no formal office, there's no formal qualification, and there's no formal ordination, but a woman can still have a role in serving the saints as this woman Phoebe did. I commend unto you Phoebe our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sencria. So she served the church. She was a helper of that church and a minister to it. When I say the word minister, I do not mean a preacher because that's one of the things we're going to look at. But she was there to help whenever she could and she even helped the Apostle Paul because he said in verse 2, she hath been a succorer of many. The word succorer, spelled like that, means helper. And she had been a helper of the Apostle Paul himself. You know, Jesus and the Apostles had women among their close friendship. If you look at Acts chapter 1 and read the description of those that were in the upper room or those that were with the apostles before the day of Pentecost, it says this in Acts 1.14, after listing the apostles by name because they were the most illustrious of the group, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus... And with his brethren. So there we have the apostles with the women and with Mary, the mother of Jesus. She is specifically pointed out and with his brethren. So there's a role for women in the church and we want to recognize that. And women do things in our church and we want to encourage the women to do things in our church and we want to encourage the women to do things for those that visit our church because we start out with this example of Phoebe. Now she was a sister. So no matter what you may think of the name Phoebe, we know that she was a female because the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit identifies her as a female. The Spirit clarified her sex to make sure there wasn't any mistaking about her. And a brother and a sister can be in a close relationship, and it's God's choice of words to call her a sister of the Apostle Paul. You know, even when Paul was talking about marriage, he described marriage in 1 Corinthians 9.5 as leading about a sister. The church of Jesus Christ should be like a family. We should love each other like good brothers and sisters love each other. If you have had family relationships where there was sarcasm and cruelty and, and hurtfulness and selfishness, that's not what the Bible's referring to when it describes the brotherhood and brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. 
It's talking about proper brothers and sisters. And Paul considered Phoebe such a woman. And if Paul considered her a sister to him and a helper to him, she was a pretty important person in the New Testament. When a person is in Christ, even a woman, there's a measure of Christ's worth upon them because men and women, there's no difference in being equal heirs of eternal life and of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So we have this woman, Phoebe. We don't know much about her except what is given to us here in these words. I don't bring other external sources to you to tell you what they think because it's all speculation. But the Apostle Paul identifies a woman as having been a servant of the church which was at Sencria. Sencria was very close to Corinth, just a few miles away from it, on the water side of Corinth there in southern Greece, which was called Achaia. She did much more than the widows indeed. You know, widows widows indeed, by their qualifications, are on the receiving end of the church's help. But this woman wasn't receiving help. This woman was giving help because she was a succorer of many. We say that she had an ordinary, informal, and unofficial role of service. We use those words because an ordinary role of service means that there wasn't any supernatural manifestation or power with her. She had an ordinary role. We say it was an informal role because there wasn't formal qualifying or ordination. We say it was unofficial because it wasn't a job specified in the New Testament Scriptures. Is there anything left? Pastor, if you say that this woman, Phoebe, did only had an ordinary, informal, and unofficial role in the church, is there anything left? Well, how about giving? Like the women that followed the Lord Jesus Christ around. Is giving a gift that's supposed to be done with cheerfulness, according to Romans chapter 12? Amen. Is it one of the gifts of the church? How about giving? How about tending to widows? like Dorcas did? How about tending to the pastor's family, like the Apostle Paul, because she was a sucker of that man who didn't have a wife or mother? Did he ever eat? Did he like biscuits and gravy? Did he like fried chicken? Who fixed it for him? Luke? He was the beloved physician. And so I'm just trying to mention some things to make you think someone helped take care of the Apostle Paul so he didn't have to be living off of TV dinners all the time. Tending to widows, tending to the pastor's family, hospitality when strangers were in town or preachers were in town, helping the deacons out with their job on an unofficial basis, entertaining strangers, cleaning church facilities, food preparation, carrying gifts to those that needed it, raising money when money needed to be raised from other women, visiting the infirmed or the housebound, transporting gifts. There's a lot of things that a woman could do to serve the apostle and serve the church. And we don't know what exactly she did, but she was a servant of the church at Sencria. And being that she was traveling to Rome, she may have been a woman of means and was able to take care of the apostle and others with that abundance that she had. She had helped many, even the apostle. Now, when we come to a passage like this, and I just limited this woman to tasks that are outside the pulpit. It reminds us that as a church, we have another vain idea of men that we need to oppose and stand upon Holy Scripture alone. Regardless of the words, she was a servant of the church, which is at Sencria. 
She was not a public teacher or a public participant in worship there. And it is my job, even though you are well established in this fact, to remind you of that from the Bible. We live in the perilous times of the last days where there is a breakdown of authority in every sphere around us and women are demanding and women are getting a voice and a role in public assemblies. A point of doctrine and practice that separates us from other Christians as women and their place in public assemblies. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 with me. 1 Corinthians 14. We love Phoebe. If the Apostle Paul appreciated her, we appreciate her. We don't even know what she did. But what we know she didn't do was she didn't preach. And she didn't lead Bible studies. And she didn't lead the choir. She served the church in other capacities. And there are other women in the Bible that we are told, ministering out of their substance. I've referred to that once. I've referred to Dorcas once. She helped make coats for the other widows. There were jobs like that that could be done. You could house the Apostle Paul. What woman do we know took the Apostle Paul and Luke into her household and they abided with her while they were in that particular city? Lydia. Lydia. The Bible tells us that. Is that a service? Was that a big service to Paul to have his linens changed every day, to be in a nice house with three nice cooked meals every day? We're assuming Lydia did a good job. Does anybody want to question Lydia's job on taking care of the Apostle Paul? Good. Uh, we, we trust that Lydia took great care of him. And so there were things that these women could do, but we want to deal with what they weren't going to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, the Bible says, and we believe it, let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything... Let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. When you first bring this passage up to someone who is a woman and she wants to be a preacher, she'll say that verses 34 and 35 are only condemning women speaking in tongues. No, it condemns them even asking questions. And asking questions is not part of speaking in tongues. Women can be disruptive in a public assembly where there are men seeking to make a decision or truth is being conveyed by asking their ridiculous questions. You say to yourself, well, if I asked the question, it wouldn't be ridiculous. Well, then you're opposing the Word of God because ordinarily when women ask questions, they're oftentimes ridiculous. They get sidetracked very easily. They get emotionally distracted. And so they're disruptive to public assemblies. And if a woman even wants to learn something, and that is a wonderful thing, if a woman wants to learn Bible truth, the Bible answer for her by the Holy Spirit that I still believe in 2014 is ask your husband at home. If he has to call the pastor and get an answer, there's not a thing in the world wrong with that. That's intelligence. That's wisdom. There's nothing wrong with a man needing to ask the pastor to get advice or another brother in answering the questions of his wife. But there's the Word of God. Keep silence. Look at it. It is not permitted for them to speak. They are under obedience. They are under the men's authority. If they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. It is a shame for women to speak in the church. 
if you don't like long-haired men, and if you don't like short-haired women, then you shouldn't like women talking in church because it's a shame when they do it. Because an orderly assembly is men taking the lead of their families and taking the lead in a church and communicating to each other and settling on solutions to problems and having truth conveyed. And if there are still questions to answer at home, then wives and children are taught by their husbands and their fathers, which is taught throughout the Bible in both Testaments, which is why it says, as it is taught under the law, the law said the very same thing. Truth is conveyed from the men. The men went to worship in Shiloh three times a year. The men. The Lord's religion is a man's religion. The world is a man's world. God made it for the man. The woman is his helper. And so he helps her with the truth when she can't understand it. That's 1 Timothy 14. Very plain. What it tells us is Phoebe did not have a preaching or speaking role in the church at Sencria. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We go over things, and you know, I haven't preached on this in many, many years. But it is a problem today. Women have to be involved and have to be up front, have to be leading in some capacity. You know, preachers today, when they get ordained, their wives get ordained right along with them. You know, when we get an apostle in the city of Greenville, we also get the apostolus. Even though you can't find the word apostolus in your Bible, we had an apostolus. That apostolus is no longer in Greenville, and I will leave that to you as far as the information about that subject. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. There's her, there's her obedience to the public authority of men to lead church assemblies. Let the woman learn. She can learn. She can sit there. She can take in what's being preached, but let her learn in silence with all subjection. That's humility and reverence of the male authority around her. But I suffer not a woman to teach. The word suffer, not meaning that a woman teaching would be would be suffering, though I would say that in most cases. All you have to do is watch Joyce Myers for a few minutes on television and uh, you'll suffer through it. You know, when you listen to uh, Mrs. Osteen, you got to suffer through it. But anyway, the word suffer here means permission. But I permit not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And some will say, well, I know that I shouldn't teach in any capacity that usurps authority over the man. That is not what the verse says. The verse says there's multiple sins that can take place, one being usurping of authority over the man, and the other is teaching. Nor means there's two different things under consideration. So don't let anyone take you and restrict the Word of God so that we're partial in God's law. Women are to be in silence. That doesn't allow any teaching, even if they think the teaching is not usurping authority over the man but to be in silence. This is public assemblies of the church. As soon as we have an amen, the women can speak, even though they're in the church building, and even though they're still members of the church, the church assembly is over. This is limited to church assemblies. Otherwise, otherwise, you can't ever say a word. Because we're always members of the church. 
Or if you took the church as a building and the word church is used as a building in one place in the book of Acts, then you couldn't speak while you were on this property. We understand this about the public assemblies. When we all come together and there is being information conveyed and we are agreeing upon that information before the Lord as to what the Bible teaches, women are to be silent. Now, is there a teaching role for women? There is. Does Titus chapter 2 verses 3 through 5 teach that women should teach? And it tells which women should teach. The aged women should teach the younger women domestic things, personal things, things of morality about being chaste, about being good, about loving their husband, about obeying their husband, about loving their children. It does say that. That's a teaching ministry of aged women. Aged women. You young women try to teach those things. You better be very careful. It better be on a very private basis and very gently done because other young women are not impressed by your lack of wisdom and your lack of experience. So you should be very careful. But aged women can teach. Is there another way that women can teach? The Bible says when we have congregational singing, one to another, one another singing, we speak and teach and admonish one another. So when we're singing songs about the coming of the Lord, about the judgment of Christ, about the seriousness of serving Him, about Jesus I, my cross, have taken, all the women are joining in singing, and you're all teaching and admonishing even the men in that public way of singing. And so when we come to Romans chapter 16, and we see that Phoebe was a servant of the church which was at Sencria, we know that there are definite limitations on what she was doing there. God is very plain that women are not to speak or teach in the assemblies of the church. They're not even to ask questions because it's disruptive due to the nature of their sex. Just keep them out of it. It's an abuse of authority. It messes up authority. It confuses meetings when some man who's supposed to be an authority over his wife, can can you just see him sitting there in an assembly of the church at Rome? You know, there's 500 members in the church at Rome and he's got his head hanging while his wife is going off. It's just disgusting. It's a shame. It's like a man with long hair like a woman or a woman with short hair like a man. When a, when a woman talks like that in public, it's just a shame and it shouldn't take place. This is what the Bible says. Women were fooled in Eden and they're still vulnerable to this day to their weak character and nature to effeminate creeps. When I say effeminate creeps, does everyone know what passage I'm referring to? Second Timothy chapter three verses six and seven say that there are men that creep into houses and lead captive silly women who are ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. This does not mean that all women are silly. There are wise women. There are wise women in both Testaments. And we're thankful for those wise women. And they were great women. And Aquila was one of them. And we're about to get to her. Boy... The Apollos was a mighty man in the Word of God. He was an eloquent man. He was a fervent man. This was an intense man in personality and character, training and knowledge of the Bible, but he ran into a buzzsaw when he ran into Priscilla. She fixed him a nice meal, and then she took the preacher to task with her husband in private. And they converted him, and you read about it last evening. She's only mentioned six times in the New Testament. They were great friends of the Apostle Paul. 
And I want you to know something. Out of those six times, three times Aquila is mentioned first, and three times Priscilla is mentioned first. Do you like that? It could be six and oh, but it's not. It's the Holy Spirit. I know I'm crazy. I believe every word of God. And when the Lord changes the order of things, I look at it and say, He's trying to communicate something, and I want to receive it. And when there are great women, they deserve that kind of recognition, and the Holy Spirit gave that to them by the use of Aquila and Priscilla. Brethren, the Bible goes on to say, I hope you haven't turned away from 1 Timothy 2. I have. I hope you haven't. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it explains why the woman should not speak in public assemblies. Verse 13, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. That means it's a man's world. The man should be the leader. She was made to be his helper. This order of creation is very important for marriage, and it's very important for how women and men function in society and in public events like church assemblies. Second reason, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now we all know that sin was transmitted through the man because the man sinned presumptuously against God. But in this context, Adam is off the hook because he didn't sin because he was tricked by the devil. But the woman being tricked by the devil is identified as the transgressor when we're looking at the fact who should keep their mouth shut in public. Do you understand that? We know, for as by one man sin entered into the world, we, we know that Adam is the one that condemned all those coming from him because of Romans chapter 5. But when it's dealing with this subject of speaking in public where there are men involved, and in speaking in God's assemblies and Christ's churches, women are to be in silence, in subjection. They are not allowed to teach or to usurp authority. And then two reasons are given. The order of creation shows the priority and preeminence of the man over the woman in public assemblies. And two, she was deceived by the devil. In just a few minutes, she went down, just like the women go down. That's why they're called silly women in Second Timothy chapter 3 to the false teachers that creep into their houses by books, videos, CDs, and Bible conferences. It's horrible. What's happening, especially today, when I read those 21 verses about the perilous times, there's never been a time in the history of the world when those phrases have been fulfilled as much as they are right now. Right. You know, yes, the priest used to go and be able to creep into a house while a man was at work. A priest would arrive at the door and check on the woman to make sure she was being a faithful Catholic in giving enough of her husband's income, and if she was raising her children in the Catholic faith. Yes, men used to creep into houses, but never like they do today. These pastors today can creep into a thousand or a million houses at once by being on the radio, the television, or the internet. Lord have mercy upon us and help us. I know some things about Phoebe. She didn't lead Bible studies in the church. She didn't teach Sunday school class in the church. She didn't hold Bible conferences like Joyce Myers. She didn't teach junior church. She didn't direct the orchestra. She didn't preach the offertory for the pastor. Lord, thank you. Let's go back to Romans 16. But we love Phoebe. Paul exalts her. We want to exalt her. Romans chapter 16. She was a servant of the church at Sencria. When something needed to be done that wasn't a ministerial role in the pulpit, Phoebe was at it. The Apostle Paul recognizes her. And the Holy Spirit recognizes her. And you women... 
that serve this church in the, in the ways that you do in your capacities. We are thankful for you. We appreciate you. And I hope that Romans 16 stirs you up to do even more. And you know, it's a woman with a lot of children, a woman with a high-maintenance husband. I can say that because I am one. A woman that has a lot going on in her life has doesn't have much left over to serve the church. The Lord knows that. But you know, things change. Your children grow up. You get more time. You may have more money than when your budget was really tight when you had children at home. And you're able to do more things. And I hope that the women or younger women that don't have the responsibilities yet of very many children look at a passage like this and say, I love to serve the church. And I want to go home and make a list from what the pastor said of everything that I could do that the Bible does allow me to do. And I want to be involved in those things. You know, we have a husband and a wife with three children having the youth to their house this afternoon. There's service. You don't think my son's doing everything in preparation, do you? He's hanging his head, but he knows his dad is talking about the genetic connection to his father. You know, Amy's going to do it, just like Sherry has done a lot over the years. And so there's a place for women, and we're thankful for them, and we want to lift them up. But at the same time, when we go through the Word of God, I want us to pick up on everything we can, so that when it says Phoebe was a servant of the church, we know what she didn't do, so we can then come to a list of what she did do. Verse 2, that ye receive her in the Lord. I love this expression, and I don't want to race over anything, but it says to receive her in the Lord. You know, as Christians, we are brothers and sisters in the family of God, and we should receive each other in the Lord. It's the highest measure of compatibility. It's the highest measure of desirability. It's the highest measure of value and worth in the Lord. We're to marry in the Lord. We're to receive women like this in the Lord. Because she's in the Lord Jesus Christ. She is one of His. She is a sister of Jesus Christ. She is a blood-bought child of the King. And we should receive her that way. Listen to how it says it in Matthew 18.5, talking about little children. Matthew 18.5, And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name... Do you want to hear the rest of this verse? It's got two words left. Whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Ladies, we love you because you're Christ. We'll receive you in the Lord. And, and I hope the children in this church know that every adult in this church receives them like they're receiving the Lord. This is the Word of God. Do you know how tight of a church we could have? Do you know how tight of a church we should have if we practice these verses all the time? All those of you with tender hearts that wanted to feed that stray cat at break time, I'm sorry if I was too hard on you. I just don't want you to get bit, and I don't want a neighbor suing us for abuse of animals by feeding them for anyway, whatever could take place. We just want to be careful. But we love every one of you. This verse is in preparing to preach to you. And whoso shall receive one, not all of them, 
one such little child in my name receiveth me. Now these are little children that are old enough to believe on Jesus. And we have little children in here that believe on Jesus. We want to receive them just as we were receiving Christ. And thus Paul's words, that ye receive Phoebe in the Lord as becometh saints. Saints adorn themselves by the way they embrace other saints. We are never standoffish. We are never cliquish. We are never holding you at an arm's distance. We want to embrace believers that we meet. Rome had never met Phoebe that we know of. The way that Paul's introducing her, they had never met Phoebe. But when she arrived in that city and they sent ambassadors of their congregation to the airport to pick her up, you know I'm speaking as a fool to help your understanding. They were to embrace her because it becomes saints. It adorns them and beautifies saints to receive other saints with full-blown warmth, acceptance, affection, and desire, and willingness to do anything for them. No, you can't carry your own suitcase. I'm going to carry it for you. Let me take you and get you a meal. Let me take you to a quiet and relaxing place after that flight. Whatever she needed. And so we have receiver in the Lord. And we should do that toward each other. Bible condescension is a wonderful thing. You know, condescend is used in a bad way, the way that we use the term, as you haughtily come down and make other people feel inferior. But condescension, the Bible, is a good thing when you get off your high horse and get down to someone that's lower than you and make them feel higher than you. That you want to be their servant. It's a wonderful word. And it's getting out of your comfort zone to get down and to sincerely show affection and desire to anyone, including men of lower class. And it says that in Romans 12. Get down to men of low estate. We're going to meet brothers and sisters of low estate. They're going to be of a lower economic class. They're going to be of a lower educational level than you might have. But none of that matters. If they're in Christ, it's like receiving the Lord. And we want to embrace them. And embrace them aggressively and warmly and fervently. And do anything that we can for them. That becomes saints. The apostle goes on to say, And that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. She was going to Rome for business. There is no reason to assume that this is church business. Why would we assume that? What role could a woman have in another church for business? That church didn't have a pastor. That church didn't have deacons. That church didn't have helpers. That church didn't have people taking care of its business. She was going to Rome. She could have been a seller of purple like Lydia. And she had a big deal to close, a business deal in Rome. You say, well, how can a woman truly serve the Lord and be a businesswoman? I want to reverse that question. How can a woman truly serve the Lord and not be a businesswoman? Unless you've got some means, your service is going to be severely limited. The women that ministered to Jesus ministered out of their substance. They were women of substance. This, This verse doesn't say anything about her going to do some church business. She could be going there for a court hearing. Did the Apostle Paul ever make a trip to Rome all the way from Caesarea for a court hearing? Yes, he did. Were the Christians persecuted during this time? That's why Paul ended up in Rome. She was there on business. Could she use some contacts? Like who knew the best attorneys in town? 
I'm just making stuff up to help you understand Paul telling the Romans, I'm sending you Phoebe. She has been a sucker of many. She has been a sucker of me. Receive her in the Lord. She is a servant of the church, which is at Sencria. So when she tells you of the business that she has in Rome, do whatever you can to help her. Do whatever she has need of. We don't know what it was. It doesn't matter what it was. She could easily have been there for a for trial or for a big business deal. That was the center of the Roman Empire. But when she got there, they were supposed to assist her. And we always want to be of assistance to our brethren in whatever business they have that we can help them with. I love it when I hear about someone having an interview for a job because one of you knew someone there and made arrangements for them to have that interview. And we have done that many times, and I rejoice in that. And I love to see it happen because we're fulfilling that second verse. There's much, you know, business is not anti-religion. Business is a companion of religion. <coughs> the best businessmen and those with the biggest balance sheets in the New Testament were able to do the most for the kingdom of heaven beyond praying. And there's things that need to be done beyond praying. And so the Lord blessed men like that and blessed women like that. Lydia probably had a decent-sized house. She was a seller of purple. She could take Paul and Luke in, had domestics that would be able to take care of them. And so we learn about Phoebe, and we go on to Priscilla and Aquila in verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. And they indeed were helpers. You read Acts 18 last evening. I hope you enjoyed the fact that as soon as They met the Apostle Paul. They took him in. He sewed tents with them. And that's a whole subject for another time. I want you to know that the Philippian church supported the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was not contradicting himself. Every minister of the gospel should be fully supported so that he can fully study God's Word and be of value to the congregation that he serves. The Apostle Paul sewed tents on occasions at Thessalonica because it was a lazy church. And he says that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. He explained why he sowed there. At Corinth, they were a stingy and greedy church. So he showed them an example. He had full authority to be fully supported. But there are people that will run into the example of Paul and try to make that that ministers shouldn't be fully supported. They forget a number of things about the Apostle Paul. How much did Paul have to study? To rightly divide the word of truth. None. How much did he have to spend for the upkeep of his wife and children? None. And he says in Philippians chapter 4 that he was appreciative of the Philippians who had sent at least twice, and he says that more than once, twice, to support him. But that's another subject for another time, and maybe we'll run into it somewhere. But it's a disgrace when churches try to run to Paul to make an excuse why they shouldn't be supporting second-generation ministers of the gospel. Because second-generation ministers, and that means without Paul's spiritual gifts, have to study this Bible for many, many hours to be able to rightly divide it. And the Bible says repeatedly, give yourself wholly to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, that thy profiting may appear unto all. The only way you're going to have a profitable pastor is is if he is freed from any other activities except the word of God and prayer. That's why there were deacons ordained in Acts chapter 6. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.17, those that rule well and and labor in word and doctrine should have received double honor. 
in, in their support. But that's a, another subject. But when you read Acts 18 and you see that there, the Apostle Paul was in Corinth. There was much people to be added to the church there. And Paul sewed tents there with Aquila and Priscilla. You know, there's no higher calling for a marriage than a couple to give themselves to joint efforts for kingdom duties. I can't think of a higher calling for a marriage than a husband and a wife working together like Aquila and Priscilla to serve the kingdom of heaven. What is it? Just to build a family tree? The family tree ought to be to serve the Lord. The kingdom of heaven should be first in everything we do. And so we have this greeting extended to Priscilla and Aquila who are now in Rome after leaving Corinth and Ephesus to arrive in Rome and they were there ahead of the Apostle Paul. And he says about them, who have for my life laid down their own necks. They had risked their lives for the Apostle Paul. And when you read Acts chapter 18 and 19, there were some pretty serious events that took place at Corinth and at Ephesus where Paul's life was in jeopardy and they very well took him into their homes and helped him escape from those two cities so that he preserved his life. And Paul goes on to say, I give thanks that they saved my life, but the churches of the Gentiles are thankful also because he was the apostle to the Gentiles and if Aquila and Priscilla hadn't saved his life, those churches would have lost their apostle. But the Lord used them and blessed them. And he says, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. You know, the the beautiful thing in, in the religion of the New Testament is that there's no male or female in Christ Jesus when it comes to serving His kingdom. There are differences of role, but they can both serve. And so we have Aquila mentioned right alongside Priscilla, or vice versa, Priscilla mentioned first with Aquila tagging along behind, but they were servants and helpers for Paul and churches. We come to verse 5, and it says, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Now in verse 3, he had said, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. And this is my final point, but it's not a small one. We today have a movement. It's not a very big movement. You know what the big movements are. It's these mega churches that are turned, that are nightclubs like World Redemption Outreach Center and like New Spring. These churches that are nightclubs following some charismatic leader and praise bands that have rock and roll concerts and Starbucks coffee and you can dress any way you want to and we're not going to require anything of you to be a member here except that you give so that we can build more of these nightclubs. You know, that's, that's the, the large movement. But there's another movement called house churches where people rebellious against any leadership, structure, order that keeps them in their place, especially women, love house churches. Because a house church is where ten people get in the living room. They can wear shorts and flip-flops and flop down in the sofa that you've got there for them. They can have a cup of coffee and be chewing on a bagel. And a church service is basically something like Does anyone have anything they'd like to share? And so you have, you know, somebody sharing something from the Bible. But then someone disagrees with that, so they share something different. Because remember, the people that want to be in a house church are opinionated people. They haven't liked what they call the institutional church. Did you know that you're part of the institutional church? 
So they hate the institutional church. One of the re, one of their main doctrines they like to talk about every time they get together is how much they hate the institutional church. Because they can just sit around and anybody can talk. You know, you can share your opinion from being a weekend warrior in the Word of God. You know, you read something and so you can share it, then somebody can object to what you said and call your hand, and they think that that leads to pure doctrine. Even though there's no ordained teachers, there's no qualified teachers, there's no one that studies full time, they all have their jobs, but it's called the house church movement. And so they use verses like this, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house to justify their movement. I'll grant you that from Romans 16.5, there might have been a church that met in the house of Aquila and Priscilla. If it was, it had an order like we read about everywhere else in the New Testament. Do you think there was anyone present that could have taught that church? Do you know his name? Aquila. Was he able to convert the mighty Apollos? Had he had Paul sitting there with him sewing tents for quite a while? Do you think he knew quite a bit? I would say so. I would say indeed so. The easiest explanation is their family, their servants, and other employees they would have had for their tent business living with them were a church. It doesn't say likewise greet the church that meets at their house. It says likewise greet the church that is in their house. They live there. He probably had a pretty large operation going because a husband and a wife are not going to sew very many tents very fast without other laborers. If it was a church as we know it, let's assume that, all the other names that we read in this passage must belong to another church or other churches in Rome. The same language is used of Nymphus in Colossians chapter 4 and Archippus in Philippians chapter 1. Aquila was very capable of being a pastor of this church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 19, when Aquila was in a different place in Corinth, that he had a church in his house there. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. The house church movement today is heresy to reject real churches for pretend churches that take place in a den or a living room. Children with a tree house often create daddy, mommy, and kids to pretend they have a family. And the house church fad is no different. It is an attempt of rebellion and ignorance to mislead the simple about how a church should function. You should hear them yap about taking it back to its original roots in the New Testament, where they met in churches and everyone got to participate. It's ridiculous. Satan will do anything to subvert God's ordinances and orderliness to exalt men and or folly. Traditional churches may have problems, but because God's ordination of authority has a problem, doesn't mean we get rid of that authority. Every sphere of authority has problems. Because there's an abusive father, should we get rid of fathers? Because there's an abusive civil government, should we get rid of civil government? No and no to both question. Are there abusive husbands? Should we get rid of marriage? Should we shack up with each other so that if a man gets abusive, you can just leave him and not have to get a divorce? That is not the solution. The solution is is to ordain qualified men and to follow the Word of God in the institutional church pattern that we have that follows the New Testament. 
The abuse of, of authority in any sphere does not mean we modify God's ordinance for that sphere. Even the oversized megachurches, most of them have cell groups. If you go to a church with a couple thousand members, of course you're never going to hardly know anyone in that church, but there's going to be little cell groups where you go and meet with someone else and you have a Bible study being led. I thank God that I am not a pastor of any such megachurch where I know that on different nights of the week, and no one be offended please, that there are plumbers and nurses teaching the Word of God to segments of the assembly in the congregation. That is sick. That's like a father saying, I'm going on vacation for the next year. Kids, I hope you'll take care of each other. Sheep need a shepherd. A shepherd doesn't go on vacation and leave a note with the sheep, take care of each other while I'm gone. It's ridiculous. It's one of the rebellions against authority, and they pull it from verses like this. The house church movement makes unscriptural assumptions that totally pervert the apostolic order. They claim all New Testament churches, without exception, met in houses and other buildings are wrong. you got to read their websites to even believe that. Why would anybody even say something like that? What does the Bible have to say? The first church was the biggest that we know about in the New Testament. It had somewhere between ten and 50,000 members. It assembled every day. Does anyone know where... For, first of all, how many houses do you think in Jerusalem could handle? Let's pick 30,000 as a midpoint of its a, ten, a, a number of members. How many houses in Jerusalem could handle 30,000? How many had a den that big? Who could provide the bagels for 30,000? It tells us where they met every day. Where did they meet? In this massive structure about the size of the Bilo Center called the temple. They met every day in the temple, and it tells us that. Where did they have their meals together? From house to house. They ate their bread and meat with gladness. It's all found in Acts chapter 2. Ridiculous to try to say that every church in the New Testament was a house church. Are you kidding? And do you know who the pastors were of that 30,000 member church? Do you know any of their names? Does Peter ring a bell? Peter, James, and John, and the rest? Did they know how to preach? Did they let others take over and preach anything they wanted to? Did they ever ask when they got to an assembly, Brethren, what have you learned in your reading this past week? Or did they lay the Word of God on them? Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 says that. Acts chapter... And there's Acts chapter 2 and verse 46... Acts chapter 5 and verse 42 says that I'm not going to even show you. You can turn to them. That's in an outline. It'll be on the website in hours. Even while describing such large numbers and the fact that they ate from house to house, do you know what Luke calls that group of people? Does he call it churches? That they had a whole bunch of house churches? No, it was the church at Jerusalem. Singular. The Bible knows full well when you have more than one that it's churches in the plural. In Acts chapter 18, you read it last evening, the Lord appeared to Paul and told him, I have much people in this city. How many houses do you think in Corinth could have handled the much people? What do you think the Lord meant by much people? Seven? Seventeen? Seven hundred? Are we getting closer? 
to a city the size of Corinth? I can tell you one place where they didn't meet. It was in a house. 1 Corinthians 11 says, Don't you all have houses to eat in? But when you come together in one place, this is to have the Lord's Supper. Are you able to follow that? I can tell you where they didn't meet. They didn't meet in houses. You say, that's incredible. Is that really in the Bible? It's in the Bible. What does it take to find it? Just read the Bible. Look at Acts chapter 19 and verse 9, since you didn't read it last evening. Where did they meet in Ephesus? It tells us. Remember, you can't meet anywhere but in a house. You say, well, there weren't any buildings available. Do you know how big the temple was? It was a whole lot bigger than what Zerubbabel built because Herod Herod added on to it and it took him 46 years to do so. Do you think that was a pretty decent-sized building project when it takes 46 years to do it? It was huge. Acts chapter 19 and verse 9. Verse 8 tells us that Paul for three months went into the synagogue disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. He preached in the synagogue for three months because the Jews allowed him. Verse 9, But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way, that's our way, that's the Christian way, before the multitude, he separated from them, he departed from them, excuse me, he departed from them and separated the disciples out of that synagogue meeting place, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Does anybody know where Paul preached every day in the city of Ephesus? In a school building. If you go on and read Acts chapter 19 and Acts chapter 20, he will say, I taught you publicly and I taught you house from house to house. Where did he teach them publicly? Since it wasn't obviously from house to house. What? Right here. The school of one Tyrannus. Thank you, Lord. There's so many, there's other places I could turn you. You know, when the Bible says that a great multitude or in another place, almost the whole city, When it says almost the whole city, what house do you think they were in? What room do you think they used? Do you think they took the master bed and leaned it up against the wall so they could get almost the whole city in that room? You say, Pastor, are you angry about the house church movement? Yes, I am. Because it's an attempt to overthrow the authority of God in His churches. So, So the women can get themselves a pulpit and a platform in a living room where they can open their traps and give their opinion about what the Word of God is teaching. Contrary to everything that we just looked at about Phoebe being a servant of the church which is at Sencria. You know, they love to appeal to history. Once you, once they fall down and realize that the Bible certainly doesn't teach that they were all meeting in houses, they appeal to history. But that's no different than the Seventh-day Adventists saying that Constantine changed the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday in the 4th century. See, I get that every week. Don't you know, Pastor? We can see by your website that you don't believe in the holy days of the Roman Catholic Church. Why do you still worship? Why do you worship on the day of Constantine? I know where the first day of the week came from is the day of worship, don't you? It's Acts chapter 20 and 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It has nothing to do with Constantine. Appeals to history don't mean anything. There's hardly anything extant from that period of time that you can read with any understanding. And there was a lot of persecution in those days. And if they, if some of the churches met in houses like Aquila and Priscilla's, so be it. We totally understand that. It takes place in China today. 
It takes place in Russia where you have to hide your church from public authorities. Where does this come from? House churches that exalt an extreme view of a doctrine called the priesthood of the believer. This is a Baptist point of doctrine. The priesthood of the believer. That every believer is his own priest. But does that mean every believer is his own pastor? Does that mean every believer is his own bishop? That every believer is his own deacon? That every believer is his own apostle? When it says the priesthood of the believer, are we talking about the right to interpret Scripture and the right to teach Scripture? Or are we talking about the right of a person to go straight into the presence of God as their own priest through Jesus Christ, their great high priest? Priesthood of the believer is misapplied to mean interpreting Scripture and publicly leading assemblies. Jesus Christ made us kings and priests, but it's for prayers and sacrifices to God only through the new and living way of Jesus Christ, not to correct or alter any New Testament office. See, these little house churches, there's no pastor, there's no bishop, there's no deacon, there's no nothing. They don't want structure. They don't want organization. They just want to get together with coffee and bagels and share. And Carl's CEO has to listen to Sally's student. It's ridiculous. It's a violation of authority. We all know that that's happening. It's happening in every sphere of authority. And Christians are culprits. They want to rail against government. There's too many divorces. Children don't obey their parents anymore. It's part of the perilous times of the last days. The confusion of asking a room full of people what they think is worse than your own insanity. Do you realize that? You know, your thoughts are bad enough. My thoughts are bad enough. But when we get in a room full of people and say, what do you think? Well, oh, now we've got someone else who's insane contributing their ideas, and it leads to a whole lot more confusion. No wonder they've had some growth. Every odious woman finally has a pulpit or platform. They claim they need no pastors, for the Holy Spirit will lead them to the truth. But of course, why didn't I think of that earlier? The Holy Spirit's going to lead them to the truth. I wonder why Paul told Timothy to study, since the Holy Spirit wasn't going to lead Timothy to the truth. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So Susie Basso, that does diapers and dusting all week, expects to tell men what the Bible means come Sunday. Everyone is desired and expected to speak. It's it's ridiculous. They think that every man is the man of God. Remember from last Sunday? The man of God occurs 72 times in the Bible. Two times it's angels and 70 times it's preachers. It's a shame. It's it's, It's rebellion against authority. They cannot stand that one man teaches them the Word of God. No matter if a church has five of them doing the job in turn, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The issue is not multiple elders at all. The issue is we are all able to interpret the Scriptures for ourselves. It is the issue of Korah and Abiram. In Numbers chapter 16, you take too much upon you, all the congregation is holy, especially us, and we should be able to give our opinion. You remember what happened? That is where the house church movement came from. They are a bunch of rebels that hate authority in the church. So they don't have pastors. 
but it says they have pastors. And if you've got a conservative house church group where there's one guy or two guys or four guys that do most of the teaching, none of them are full-time when the Bible says that those who labor in the Word and doctrine should not be entangled in the affairs of this life. If you can't be entangled in the affairs of this life, and that's a commandment of the Apostle Paul for preachers of the gospel and teachers of the gospel, then they're flat out wrong. And that's why they never make any progress. That's why they're not going to learn anything. Because all they have is a few weekend warriors sharing a few things that they've picked up with 15 minutes in the Bible. They think that they are new, creative, and revolutionary, but the Plymouth Brethren were doing this long before any of these house churches. The Plymouth Brethren have always had that ridiculous idea of assemblies. They have an attitude and a spirit that's against the established church authority, just like Korah, as I mentioned. You know, when a few who want to do things their way get together in a room, you know the fun is sure to follow. And it follows. You should go online and type in house church problems and read some of the movers and shakers in the house church movement describing their problems. And, and all you got to do is think about the Word of God and the order of authority that God has set up, and those problems would disappear if they did things the Lord's way. You know, they have voted against having chiefs, but Indians without chiefs don't produce much, or they fight with each other. They have no sheep because there's no members. They have no shepherds because there's no pastors, so it's not a flock, it's a school of fish. And you can tell by looking at their bumpers because they have an empty fish on their bumpers. They have no formal doctrine except in each person's mind, no confession of mutual faith. So whatever problems institutional churches have with doctrine, house churches are far worse. I mean, oh, brethren, at least a Methodist church has a Methodist confession that holds them to certain things. But once you start a house church and you let Susie Basso start to talk, where are you going to end up? There isn't a verse in the Bible that you can stop her. The Holy Spirit's leading her. You say, well, what if she makes good bagels? Well, then limit her to the bagels. You know, their safety, what they call safety for doctrine is to let Daisy Dimwit contribute her precocious gray matter on supralapsarianism. You say, you're having fun, Pastor. No, it's not. It makes me sick. And reading about them makes me angry. And having to get... That is my enemy. Just remember that. I cannot speak to you plainly. I share emails with you. You read, you speak to me, and you say, that person is so zealous for the truth. What are they doing about a church? And they get stuck in house churches. They don't have any leaders or rulers. They don't have paid leaders or rulers. They flush the Bible. They have no history for their format. So Christ's church must have disappeared for centuries. There's no growth in knowledge, for there's no one present with knowledge allowed to speak any more than anyone else is allowed to speak. There's no in-depth study of anything. All the members are entangled in the affairs of this life. They focus far more on the faddish hatred of the institutional church than on faith or fruit in Jesus Christ. They collect, they gather together based on unity, on things outside the Word of God that should be matters of liberty. They all have their little agenda. Homeschooling, agrarianism, mothers as homebodies, full quiver obsession, and stuff like that is the basis for them getting together, not their love of the Lord Jesus Christ and sound Bible doctrine. 
They will no longer endure sound doctrine, so they get together with these little things, tying them, tying them and creating some compatibility, and they let the other stuff is less important. You know, let's just all share about our love of Jesus instead of holding to the faithful word as we have been taught, instead of earnestly contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. Their idea of letting all share is heresy, brethren. Am I supposed to let those with foolish and unlearned questions ever open their mouths in an assembly of this church? Am I warned once? Am I warned five times? Am I warned ten times? In Malachi chapter 2, did it say that you should seek the law at the priest's mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts? I magnify my office. I hope everyone knows I'm not magnifying anything else. They are for the most part tithe-haters, and that's why they love the house church movement. There's no authority or purpose for their giving. They've never seen a real church in action like ours, so they cannot imagine our superiority. Let's not rest, but press on to be better and better right here with what we've got. Amen. Let's, they think that their churches are tighter because they know each other better because there's only seven in a living room eating bagels. Let's prove that by embracing each other as in the Lord. Receive her as in the Lord. Let's receive each other's children as in the Lord. Let's love each other, embrace each other, help each other, serve each other as we should. Let's not rest at all, but let's press on. Where would Paul rank you in Romans 16? I want you to think about that, and I hope that you can answer it well, and I hope that you'll labor more diligently. Where would, what would he praise you for? You know, Phoebe was a servant. She was a sucker of many. She had business acumen. Do you have some of those things? Prisca and Aquila. That was her shortened name in the New Testament. Prisca. They were helpers. They were evangelists. They were, they were devoted to the kingdom of God. Are you devoted to the kingdom of God? Could you take an Apollos and sit him down? Could you take some of the names of the men that we encounter, some of them ministers, and sit them down and show them the way of God more perfectly? You and your wife. Oh, brethren, let's be saved from all the heresies that we've been exposed to today. Malachi 2.17, Malachi 3.1-6, Romans 16 here, women speaking in the church, it's the rage now, house church. Let's be saved from all that by the verse I started with this morning, Psalm 119 and verse 113. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. And I want to stand on that law. And I hope that you'll stand on that law with me. And may God bless us to love the Lord Jesus Christ according to His law. He was the perfect lawgiver. Did you, did you enjoy Wednesday evening, Matthew 5 through 7? 21 lessons of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were glorious. What a preacher. He is the chief bishop of this church. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. We're just under shepherds, I am. He's the great shepherd. Let's love Him. Let's love His words. Let's keep His words. Let's remember that even details count because Jesus said, He that heareth and doeth even the least of My commandments is great in the kingdom of heaven. Are you willing to do that? And he that heareth and doeth these sayings of Mine, I will liken him unto a man that built his house on a rock so that when the storms come, that house stood. Let's all be houses that stand and as a church, let's stand. May the Lord help us. Thank you for your kind attention. Love the Word of God, every word of it. When you open its pages to read it, slow down. It's not the quantity. It's the quality of your reading, the quality of your comprehension to see that the, thing, the things the Lord has shown us in His Word. Amen.